0: Conscient Podcast, episode 85. I'm still in Vancouver, people. <laughs> and I'm with Tracy Friesen in her apartment here in Vancouver. And I met Tracy just uh, a few, uh, few weeks ago in person here in Vancouver. But we're working together on the scale, which I've talked about a lot in this podcast. So I'm uh, really happy to, uh, to get to know uh, Tracy better. I've read about her work. And she is a climate champion and a cultural worker of the highest order. And uh, I'll just ask her to introduce herself, and then we're going to talk about some of her work and some of the issues and passions that we share and some of the concerns we have for our world. So, Tracy, welcome, and
1: who are you? Thank you, Claude, and welcome to my little nest here in the West End of Vancouver uh, on Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Territory. Um, And I am uh, 30 years in the Vancouver film and television Sector across a whole bunch of different aspects. I started in post and visual effects, and then I spent a decade at the National Film Board, which I imagine we'll come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last uh, uh, ten years, uh, I got involved in um, in understanding and focusing on the power of media to affect social change, which led to uh, writing a book called Story Money Impact: Funding Media for Social Change, and starting an organization. Uh, with the same name. I I also took some full-time jobs in that period of time. I spent a couple years with the David Suzuki Foundation and a couple of years with a radio startup called Roundhouse, and right now I'm working full-time with the Canadian Media Producers Association, the BC branch um, based in Vancouver, uh, which is an industry um, association that supports independent Canadian production companies.
0: Well, I'm sure there's more to the story, but that's that's good to know that You've been in the cultural industries world, but also in environmental issues and social issues mm-hmm. and social change. So maybe we'll start with that. The, tell me the story of Story Money Impact, because uh, obviously it's, a, it's an interest of yours, and you've set up a structure because there was a problem, I assume. So what was the problem? Oh, <laughs> ah,
1: well, good deduction. Um, toward the end of my time at the National Film Board, something uh, uh, dynamic I started noticing were documentary filmmakers, who so many of them are so driven by a social issue of some sort. And often in that structure, they're, I mean, really, literally, you see people mortgaging their houses, you see um, families being broken apart, almost, you know, for the the pure need and wish and impulse to get these stories out to community to do the change that's embedded in them, or that's intended by the filmmaker. And at the film board, luckily, at the film board, which is in amazing, we live in a country that supports um, that kind of cultural product with with public money. Uh, but even there, some films got you know a decent amount of support for their distribution and marketing and outreach stage, and some didn't. So the filmmaker would do, would spend one, two, three, sometimes four years getting this film to screen. And maybe it might do, it might go on an educational broadcaster, do two festivals, end up at that time on a DVD, and then start gathering dust. And so the gap in my mind was all of this potential embedded in these films uh, for activating people that was not being harnessed. And in Canada, there was no mechanism, none, zero Outside of this public, you know, the CBC or the NFB and some of the public funding that supported some of the films' launches, to uh, get financial support for that phase of a film's project, so most independent producers and filmmakers would need to go on to producing their next film to keep to be sustainable to have any kind of livelihood, and um, and these films would not do um, as much as they could do. So seeing that. Um, I was motivated to try to figure out what, what was happening in other parts of the world. Um, how what was this dynamic kind of universal? And what could we learn if we looked, looked outside? And the, the moment, like the life-changing experience for me was being invited to an event called Good Pitch uh, in San Francisco. I was, just, I was still at the film board, but on my way out. Um, I'd already given notice and I was going to figure this out. And uh, Good Pitch is uh, an event that was uh, started by an organization in the UK, now called the Doc Society, then called Brit Doc, and it brings it together a, co- a collection of films, five, let's say, into a day long public space with a highly curated uh, audience of say two hundred people, uh, where somebody literally works like full time for three or four months to get the right 200 people in that room. And then if you can imagine a much uh, more generous version of something like the dragon's den. Mm -hmm. So these film teams go up, they talk about their project and then a moderator pulls, it's like an auction, pulls gifts and pledges from the audience and from a, a, a table at the center to help this film, achieve its greatest potential. And it's just like through the course of the, I've been to two of them in New York. After that, I did that first one in San Francisco. And I'm like, Oh, this is what it looks like when uh, a, a group of interested parties come together to help make sure a documentary film is seen by as many people as need to see it. So that uh, typically the kind of markets for films would see people pitching possible buyers but this in this audience it's not-for-profits it's um, foundations it's impact investors it's philanthropists uh, educators all of the people who might give money of course money's good but also might say I'm going to put that in my curriculum that film I'm gonna host a, a screening on Capitol Hill you know I'm gonna um, introduce you to these you know this a well-known person who's an influencer who will spread the word and over the over a course of about an hour for each film. People are standing up at microphones all over the space, making pledges. Beautiful thing. And so I, I was like, this is the thing. And it got me then to recognize um, that there were uh, foundations in the U.S. and the U.K. and Australia that supported the outreach phases of films, and uh, and meeting that that global network really of impact invest or impact um, producers. Um, and uh, those who recognized with with an aligned mission, you know, a filmmaker is as needed in the in the ecosystem as are those who use their films. It changed the dynamic. Instead of this kind of desperate artist looking for money, it's like, no, we are. We've been waiting for nothing more than that project that you made, so that we can activate um, our community to fight for this cause. I
0: assume one part of. Of that is understanding the story properly, right? Because if you're going to invest in the impact of something, you have to know what the person is trying to say. Mm -hmm. So because some films are, you know, take some time to understand what the issue is. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm impressed by that, because it's a a gap in the arts in general, Mm -hmm. that great work is being produced, that's not being seen or perceived or or having the impact that it could or should Mm -hmm. have. And so, how does that connect then to the climate emergency? I guess some of the work is about environmental issues, mm-hmm. but also related social issues. I, I assume, like inequities and yeah. the full range of, of of things that need to be addressed to have a just world and a just transition.
1: Yeah, I mean, the um, certainly Story Money Impact was broad, more broad, across, as was the National Film Board. You know, across any number of social issues. My own heart has always been w- with the. With the climate, with the environmental issues, with climate, being caribou was one of the first films that I that I did at the NFB that was thematically related to the environment, and I saw how that film, which was given to every um, American uh, senator along with a coffee table book, there were screenings that were ha- we we saw that film change. I um, the political legislation in the U S really. I mean, of course there were other factors, but there was a a huge amount of the impact was this um, tool being used by the Alaska wilderness league to try to prevent drilling in the Arctic national wildlife refuge. And it worked right. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, I might talk a little bit about that one because it's a good example. One of the reasons that it worked is it, was an, it actually kind of came off as an adventure film. Hmm. It was bookended by this incredible, important issue. And, and then at the end, they went to Washington, D.C. with their story. But the story was a couple following the, the caribou migration on foot for seven months just to see what it was like to be them and how hard it was for them to get to their calving grounds and to, re- and to represent the fragility of the herd. And so it was, it was adventurous. It was funny. It was shot by the couple all by themselves. It was intimate in their tent. It was broad vistas. It was amazing. And so people were watching it because of, this was their honeymoon, right? Because of this story. And then they were so impacted by what they, what they saw. It was visceral. Right. And so I think that the, the learning through some of the of the projects that I've had a chance to either work on or just to study and do a deep dive is is how do we touch how do we touch people's hearts? I mean, it sort of speaking the obvious it feels like now, but there's still this um, impulse to put data and stats and figures and we're going to make people realize that this is really important and we have to pay attention. And but I find even myself as an interested party that kind of washes over me, and then I, I lose touch with it. So, so to to activate people's um, uh, their hearts, their feelings, they're you know attracted to a story. How is this going to end? Give them a reason to be rooted at their seat to watch what's going to happen um, is really important. And to show to show solutions, I'm a huge believer in solutions journalism and in showing the vision of what, how a world could be different. So in this quite old now film, it's like 15 years old, you got to see the vista where the caribou are living and how beautiful and untouched it is. Um, and and that, uh, that ability to imagine a different future or imagine our world in a certain way, I think helps to give us enough you know, hope and optimism to go on. Um, it's one of it's a, a, a bit of a, but it's one of the reasons why, um, I was really drawn to Seth Klein's book, A Good War, mm-hmm. because it had the story of World War II, which is a story I've avoided, frankly, a lot in my adult life. I found, I have an aversion to, to the war and to military history, and I just didn't pay a lot of attention to it. That story is woven through the book, but most importantly, that that roadmap of solutions is there too. So there's something to kind of not just feel despair, but like, yes, okay, this is something maybe that's doable. And and here's a model that worked in the past and this is how it might look like moving forward.
2: Here would be my challenge to artists today and maybe to you too, Claude. Um, so we're beginning to see artists across many artistic domains, producing climate and climate emergency art. Um, which is important and good to see. Um, what's striking to me is most of it in, in the main is is dystopian about how horrific uh, the, the world will be if we fail to rise to this moment. And it, to a certain extent, that makes sense, right? Because it is scary and horrific. But here's what intrigued me about the artists, you know, what artists were producing in the war is that in the main, it was not dystopian, even though the war was horrific. Um, It was rallying us. The tone was rallying us. You know, I I found myself listening to this music as I was doing the research, and I was thinking, wow, okay, World War II had a popular soundtrack, and the anti-Vietnam War had a popular soundtrack. And when I was a kid in the peace and disarmament movement, there was a popular soundtrack. This doesn't have a popular soundtrack yet.
0: As you know, um, we're working with the Climate Emergency Unit. um, A number of uh, their staff are working with us in the scale, this organization that you and I are working on. And one of the gaps we're finding, or one of the opportunities, I don't like the word opportunity because it sounds commercial, right? One of the responsibilities of the arts and cultural sector. Maybe responsibilities is not (laughs) the right word. I'm searching for a word that says... How can the arts and cultural sector step up and play a larger role in, in the climate emergency? Mm-hmm. And the work that you've done, I think, is a really good model because it's an amplification model. It's an impact-based model. And that's what we need to do. The, the mm-hmm. artists are there. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not sure what to do, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of greening practices, lobbying, you know, mm-hmm. where, do, where, do, where do I start? What do I do? How do I use my skills mm-hmm. as a creative, you know, uh, resilient person to, to, to mm-hmm. address such a complex issue? So just in general terms, what are your thoughts on on what Canada, the Canadian arts and cultural sector, Mm -hmm. can do more and better to address the climate emergency?
1: Mm -hmm. I see two levels, and they're both really important with that question. One is literally what can we do, um, and that's about sustainable production practices, Right. So the CMPA my um, the company, the or, uh, association I work for now, um, along with a lot of stakeholders, Real Green, Creative BC here in BC, uh, uh, Ontario. Uh, I mean, there's people are coming together right now in a very big way and looking at um, the the footprint of the sector. It's been Uh, that like Real Green's been alive for more than 10 years. So it's been around, but the urgency is being felt right now. And I'm sensing it within our own organization and elsewhere. Uh, Even the broadcasters in the UK coming together at COP and and, um, making commitments there. Uh, in uh, the CBC here in Canada just yesterday or two days ago um, announced that um, all future original productions will have to use carbon calculator um, uh, and tr- you know track their sustainability plan. So there's that part that is happening and we, like all sectors, have to move on that much more quickly. Um, and uh, and figure out the ways to reduce emissions. It's a it's a fairly emission heavy field. You know, it, it feels like it shouldn't be, but the, but particularly series production and drama production and the trucks and the and the power and, and all all of that is, is really significant and needs to be dealt with. So that's that. Um, where I've spent more time is in is in the content, right? And so what interests me right now is not. There's still work to be done with the movable, the, uh, air quotes, movable middle. You know, the people who are are uh, uh, be- becoming more awake to the to the urgency, which we feel here in BC with the repeated uh, weather and climate. Um, Uh, emergencies like literally urgent emergencies here on the ground so there is uh, there is still uh, opportunity or responsibility Mm -hmm. uh, for storytellers to um, be able to whether journalism or long-form storytellers to be able to to harness that to 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 amplify it and to show more people and what's starting to interest me is stories of resilience for a post-carbon world what are we going to need uh, for our emotional well-being? What are we going to need? It's going to be a different world not long from now if we do this. And we have to do this. We have to. This transition has to happen. And there's going to be a, a sense of loss and sacrifice and and challenge, not just with what's happening externally from a, a climate point of view, but in how we're going to have to you know, make changes to our lives and reorient our energies in terms of our advocacy and um, uh, and so I, f- I feel like there's an opportunity for artists. I'm more connected to the film and television sector and the documentary community, but but throughout the system to be able to um, provide uh, realistic and yet reassuring narratives about what the upside of all this might be. And I, I hope that, uh, that we'll be able to then... Um, you know move toward a vision of the future uh, that is going to be different but is still going to have um beautiful elements to it
0: well when we had a chat a few weeks ago i that really resonated with me that idea of the the post-carbon world or or the sort of um it's a, it's a type of speculative fiction, though not necessarily fiction, because we're going to live it. Mm-hmm. But I think artists play a really important role there, in not just sounding the alarm, because the alarm has been has been sounded exactly, pretty yeah. pretty loudly. And those who haven't heard it, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and I'm, you know the, the inertia I think can be addressed by by organization, uh, by by providing tools and getting the funders to change their expectations and government policy and all of that. But, but the artists uh, brings I use the word "heart," you know, and, and I don't want to become too sentimental, <laughs> but I do believe. Mm-hmm. I get moved deeply moved by words, by images, by sounds that go far beyond the, the science that I read. I, I intellectualize the science, and I understand, and I love scientists. I think they are artists as well, quite frankly, or mm-hmm. cultural workers. But there's something about uh, um, what What a story you know you talk you projects all st- story, money impact, what a story can do to change the world I, I truly believe. Uh, whether it's an indigenous traditional story or it's a, a, a settler telling a story, those stories need to be heard, mm-hmm. uh, they need to be told, and they, they, and then people need to talk about them mm-hmm. and have that dialogue mm-hmm. um, without the fear of, you know, uh, of panic, because uh, the panic comes when you realize how bad things are, right? Mm-hmm. People are starting to feel it now in their bodies because it's all around us. But mm-hmm. I'm rambling a bit, but I, I'm, I'm interested in, in, so I'd like to go a bit further in this idea of, Mm-hmm. Uh, how do How do we get then uh, storytellers be they filmmakers or mm-hmm. or theater artists or whatever form of storytelling? Mm-hmm. how do we get them to have to 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 have the means to tell those stories and for those stories to be impactful
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, part of that I feel is the shared experience. So we've really been denied that in the last, um, almost two years with the, with the pandemic. Um, I know that story money impact, uh, and it's helmed now by, um, executive director, Sue Bealey, and she took the program online thing, a project like good pitch online as, as well as can be expected, you know, and, and has kept it, kept it alive. But what we're all missing is the moment after, uh, Uh, collectively enjoying an artistic, shared experience. So, um, keeping in my lane here, I'll talk about documentary film. When people are in a theater together, watching a film together, there's a moment, um, might last for 10 minutes, where if you've been touched, you'll do damn near anything to try to support that cause, anything. I imagine you felt it. I can think of dozens of times that I, I've c- come out of my seat. I'm looking like, please may there be a booth so I can at least leave a donation somewhere. Please may there be, you know, there's a, you're in that activated state um, there's it's a, it's a high opportunity moment for there to be um, actual change, somebody making a pledge for behavior change or somebody doing something specific to that cause or promising to support a, an organization that supports the cause. It's amazing how quickly we lose that you know by the time someone goes home they might still look something up that's related to it and maybe do a little by the next day they might tell one or two people and then and then and then they're you know with the onslaught that we have of audiovisual um content and communications it's sort of gone you know and so we can keep it we and filmmakers and um impact producers and others do everything they can to try to keep that alive by continuing to communicate about it but there's there's that there's the that um, lived experience and what can happen when the when people who are are shared, have a shared um, passion for that cause can be Mobilize collectively. So that that can go across, of course, all types of, of content. It can happen in an art gallery, you know, and it can certainly happen after a dance performance or after a theater performance. So I'm anxious to um, have that return in our lives. It's starting a little bit now. Um, and for there to be, I hate to, it always comes back to, but it's true. We need to ha- uh, honor that as part of the production process. There needs to be funding for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the states with um, um, impact documentaries, many that show up in my book, um, their production budget and their impact campaign budgets were the same, you know, or very similar. Sometimes the ca- the campaign budget was higher. Um, there'd be there'd be you know films like Food Inc. or uh, Bully, or you know they might have a sorry, three. I'm making the numbers up here, but let's call it a $300,000 production budget. And they would have like a $300,000 impact campaign budget. It's amazing what you can do when you can take films to two communities, when you can, um, uh, uh, almost hearkening back to the good old days of the NFB's challenge for change program in the sixties and seventies, where actually people went to the communities and, and sparked conversations and then took those conversations back to the other communities and sparked enhanced conversations. So, um, it's, uh, it's important work and, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's happening with, with, you know, Story Money Impact. There's a project called the Klabana Keepers about, um, uh, land defenders, largely women, uh, uh, indigenous women in Iskut in, uh, in British, British Columbia, and their very successful uh, efforts around um, defending their territory from uh, resource extraction. And that film is just about done. And that film will go to indigenous communities are the main initial uh, I, Audiences that uh, that the that the filmmakers and the community wish to see this, in order to inspire and uh, and uh, give real tools and to show other communities how the how this the Clavana keepers did it, and that's a an amazing and bringing youth along for you know this intergenerational dialogue and exchange that happens best. In, in a kind of environment, it's high touch work, because it's small groups of people coming together, you know, um, in different locations. And what I would love to see is the Canadian foundation um, sector really see and honour the value of that stage of an art practice, um, and, and do what they can to support it uh, financially, uh, so, that, um, so that this impact lands.
0: Well, that's duly noted, and certainly scale is looking at how it can contribute to um, uh, helping the sector uh, have the tools and resources that it needs. It, mm-hmm. Scale won't do it, but it can it can influence those. And we're talking to a number of foundations right now and mm-hmm. funders who are really curious about what the sector. But you know, it comes back to Seth Klein. I I agree with you. The the a good war. I've I've done two interviews with Seth okay. now. Just did one last week. Uh, and he's brilliant and, and very committed to, um, arts and cultural and to all the sectors, but he's really, uh, making a pitch that arts and culture can play a very distinct role, a very powerful role, powerful in the best sense of the word powerful, um, but we need to organize ourselves. Uh, he's, he's suggesting that, you know, agree on a set of 10 demands or principles and have that be your key messages mm-hmm. going forward. That, that work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And of course the arts and cultural sector is recovering from COVID and, mm-hmm. and people are, you know, now we live in a hybrid digital mm-hmm. world. And so the, the, the current landscape is, has a lot of potential, but um, how, do you, how do you then move forward and not go back to the old ways because we know the old mm-hmm. are ways are unsustainable. Mostly, mm-hmm. uh, what does this future look like? So that that role of, of defining and creating space for people to feel feel good about a future, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I'll play an excerpt. I sometimes insert excerpts. There's Ian Garrett, a colleague of of, of ours who, in Scale, who who gave a little uh, a, a lovely little uh, sentence about what, how he sees the future. I'll just
2: insert it now. I don't want to. Confuse the end of an ecologically unsustainable, untenable way of civilization working in this moment with a complete guarantee of extinction. There is a future it may look very different. And sometimes I think the inability to see exactly what that future is or plan for it can be confused for there not being one. And I'm sort of okay with that uncertainty. Um, and in the meantime, all one can really do is the work to try and make that, whatever it ends up being, more positive. There's a sense of biophilia about it.
0: So Ian Ian uh, is... Um somebody who I admire a lot because he, he, he walks his talk. You know, he's, he's a teacher, he's, a, he's an activist. And, but I think also artists provide that sense of, of possibility. You know, yes, there will be a, f- a future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you've certainly done uh, important work in setting foundations for that impact piece to, mm-hmm. to become more, more important as you say, it tends to be, I mean, there was a time in the arts, for instance, we thought if you produce the work, the people will come. <laughs> excellence drives everything. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, you have a whole lot of excellence, and if there isn't a sense of integration into mm-hmm. so the, the, the web of society or the, the texture of society, it might not
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: go very far, no matter how good it is, or it'll stay at a very thin level.
1: So it's cr- a crowded marketplace, right? Yeah. I mean, and, it, it, and and demands and, for our and, time.
0: And social media also take for better or for worse is there, you know, taking people's yeah. attention. So so we're coming near the end, Tracy. Is there anything that we have not covered?
1: Yeah, I'll just I just want to riff off what you just said there. I think um also there are so many important issues. You know, we're in we're in an an incredible period of time around identity and around um Uh, You know, everything to do with privilege and uh, reconciliation and uh, racial reckoning. And it's there's so much that is that is so important to be um, to be given space and time at the same time right and so that that is an issue disability i mean the reason that i know seth is because i produced his mom's film uh so bonnie share klein did a film at the nfb when i was there called um shameless the art of disability And there again, another example of of sort of demystifying and destigmatizing, and putting out uh, into the world what it's like to be living with disability, and not always be on a pedestal. And and to you, and the whole structure of that film is is five artists using their art to show what their worlds are like, and to be able to find a voice uh, uh, and and uh, allow for this kind of public. Uh, discussion around around disability you know and so and that's important like there it there's so many important issues and I I, um, I'm mindful uh, that with the climate emergency it's so existential that it uh, it's it's captured my my attention perhaps most strongly because I, I, I really hope that in the in the kind of complicated dynamic kind of wonderful wild world that we're in right now that it's one thing that will impact all of us um not the same way certainly there there are those of us living in different parts of the world that um that will be affected in different in different ways but it it's um the global it's a it's so it's such a the global community has to come together in all the ways that they can, and so we do need the scientists and we do need we do need um, all of the work being done across all of the important social issues that are happening right now, and we really do need the storytellers, um, and to validate that their their story-driven, narrative-driven, emotionally-driven um, pieces of work. Uh, will help to touch people now to change their behavior or will help to soothe or reassure or um, be with them uh, in the world post-transition.
0: I
2: think we'll leave it at that. Thank you, Tracy.
1: Thank you, Claude.